it's Flo, and this is my impression of a person having a phone conversation in the elevator. What? Yeah, no, I'm in the elevator. The elevator! Yeah! Anyway, I bundled our home and auto insurance through Progressive. No, bundled! We're gonna save big bucks now. No, bucks! Bucks! Bundle your home and auto through Progressive and save. Hello? Hello? She hung up. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company affiliates. Home insurance provided and serviced by other select insurers. Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the Bubble Hour, where real people tell real stories of addiction and recovery. My name is Ellie, and I am joined tonight by a guest co-host, Danielle from Real. Re- I can never say this, Danielle. I'm sorry. Real You Revolution. <laughs> Welcome, Danielle. <laughs> Thank you. I know. I know. It's not that easy. <laughs> That's all right. Do you, I, Danielle? You've been on the show a couple of times, but if you wanted to just introduce yourself again briefly, and then. Um, we're also going to introduce our sure. special guest tonight, Nikki Myers from Yoga 12 Step Recovery. So maybe also tell everybody briefly how it is that you also know Nikki. Sounds great. So uh, again, my name is Danielle Boland. I'm a person in long-term recovery. And I um, basically started this journey years ago. I, I left my career in, in high tech to start a coaching and intervention organization in the Boston area. And um, what we do really is work with executives and families on um, helping people to understand addiction more. And uh, through that and and helping people to just understand all parts of this um, and and through my own recovery, uh, years ago I was introduced to Tommy Rosen and Recovery 2.0. And it was in that that I had seen some things on Nikki Myers uh, you know, years ago, and I have to say that so much of, of her um, information and, and what she talks about resonated with me. So I would say, you know, a lot of the things align with why I started my organization because, you know, I am a, a 12-step person, but I also believe so much in all these other pieces. And Nikki, you know, we talk about alcohol and drugs being a symptom, and I feel like Nikki really gets to the bottom of that with her work. And um, yoga, obviously, is is just an amazing way to be able to cover that. So I would say my favorite things about Nikki, besides her being an awesome person, are, um, you know, the yoga and codependency work that I've I've been able to, to follow. So I'm happy to be here tonight. I'm excited that, that you asked me to be on the show, Ellie. Well, I'm very excited to have you here, and thank you for um, both a, your own background and, and an introduction to how you know Nikki, personally and professionally. Mm-hmm. And um, so we are really happy to welcome you to the show tonight, Nikki. Thank you for being on. Oh, I'm delighted, just delighted to be here. That's that's wonderful. And I, I'll give people... a. Um, Brief synopsis of your background, and Nikki is an accomplished teacher and practitioner. She is also an MBA, yoga therapist, somatic experiencing practitioner, and a certified addiction recovery specialist. She, born from her personal struggle with addiction, Nikki is the founder of Y12SR, the yoga of 12-step recovery. Based on its theme, quote, the issues live in the tissues, end quote, Y12SR is a relapse prevention program that weaves the art and science of yoga with the practical tools of 12-step programs. Nikki's work has been featured in the New York Times, Yoga Journal, Black Enterprise, The Huffington Post, Origin Magazine, CBSNews.com, and many more. She is honored to be a co-founder of the annual Yoga, Meditation, and Recovery Conference at Esalen, am I saying that correctly? Mm, Institute and the Kukulu Center. In 2014, Nikki was honored as a recipient of the NUVO Nouveau Cultural Visionary Award 
for her work with Y12SR. And we'd like to mention that Y12SR meetings are now available all over the United States, and the curriculum is rapidly becoming a feature of addiction recovery treatment centers everywhere. So welcome again to the show, Nikki, and we would love to begin tonight by talking a bit about your own addiction and recovery journey. If you would like to share that with us, we'd be honored to hear it. Absolutely, absolutely. And first, again, thank you, Ellie, for this invitation uh, to come on. And, Danielle, it's always delightful (laughs) to to be around you and be with you. Uh, Danielle and I had the opportunity to spend some time together around Thanksgiving at um, uh, a a conference that Tommy Rosen does, a Recovery 2.0 conference and retreat in Costa Rica. So I had the opportunity to really get to know her well, and and I'm so grateful for that opportunity and, and, and that you're here, that you're here. So thank you. Thank you both. Um, so, yeah, um, well, Ellie kind of read you the formal piece that, you, you know, when you're submitting things to conferences or to for papers and things like that. But I want to introduce myself to to you, to the audience, in the way that, you know, when I'm standing in front of anyone, I don't care if it's the United Nations or the group uh, group of esteemed uh, professionals, I do it the same way. I do it the same way. And I always start by saying hi. My name is Nikki, <laughs> and I'm an addict. I'm an alcoholic. I'm a codependent. I'm the survivor of both childhood and adult sexual trauma. I'm a love addict. I'm a recovering debtor spender. And I am an MBA. I am the um, founder of Y12SR, which is the Yoga of 12-Step Recovery. Um, I've had several successful businesses. I am a mother of two living and one deceased child. I'm actually a software patent holder. I'm also the grandmother of five, and just very, very recently something that I am delighted about, I'm the great-grandmother of a a brand-new baby girl. Congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. It's amazing. It really is amazing. All of that is true. All of that is true. And it's important for me to say it all just to to say every bit of it, what I've discovered in my journey is that if I exalt one part of myself and diminish or invalidate or shame another part of myself, that I create a split. And that split is inside of me, right, and it actually becomes a war inside of me. And uh, when that happens, that's the antithesis of, of recovery it's the antithesis of yoga. Yoga itself means balance and integration and union and relationship. And um, and when I create that war, when I make one part bad, awful, and wrong and exalt and glorify another part, then there is this split. And this journey for me has been much, much, much about reintegrating all parts of myself accepting mm-hmm. and reintegrating all parts of myself. Um, you know, and so uh, it's important for me to say that I love, there's this quote by, um, first, the one I love most relative to this is by Mahatma Gandhi. And and Gandhi says, my imperfections and my failures are as much a blessing from God as my successes and my talents. And I lay them both at God's feet. And I lay them both at God's feet. And and I found that this is so much, so very, very true for me. The other quote that I love around this work and that's been very inspirational for me is one by the Sufi poet Rumi. And I won't read the whole thing relative to this, but, but um, he wrote a piece years ago called The Guest House. And in that piece, you know, he's talking really about feelings and emotions and things like that. And he says in there, you know, that there may be this thought and you may think it's malice or any of that kind of stuff, but it may be coming to clear you out for a new delight, right? Mm -hmm. And I love that 
stop. It may be coming to pull you up when you delight. The line in that poem that I love most is, welcome and entertain them all. Welcome and entertain them all. Right? And so all of these are parts of me. And, again, to deny or ignore or repress or any of those things, any part of myself, creates this war. And for me, this journey has been the reintegration, the reintegration of all parts of myself. So, mm. um, um, you know, it, when I ask, uh, talk about addiction in my life, it just started very, very early in my life. When program, the 12-step program, which I'm very much an advocate of and, and work in my life, uh, when they talk about jails, institutions, and death, I know jails, institutions, and death. Um, the throes of addiction took me into domestic violence. It took me into um, commercial sex work. So, you know, at one point in time in the throes of addiction, um, you know, I, it started out being what at the time was generally termed a high-dollar girl, and that devolved all the way from from that point, devolved all the way to, you know, just performing a service to get a hit, right? So, you know, I know all of those things, the whole nine yards of that. I uh, started using very early on, uh, about 13 years old, and, you know, then it was just, on and popping from from that point on, and um, uh, so I know a lot of your your listeners already know this story. You know the the devolution, the way they devolve in the throes of addiction, and um, because I want to get someplace else, I'm not going to go into any of the war stories. It's enough to say. You know, it took me into commercial sex work, and it took me into domestic violence and, it, you know, all of those things. So we're going to fast forward through that to, to 34 years old. When I was 34 years old, by the grace of God, I found the 12-step program. And the 12-step program absolutely, positively saved my life. It absolutely saved my life. When I walked into the rooms of the 12-step program in 1987, I couldn't put a sentence together. I promise you, I could not put a sentence together. And there in those rooms, I found people who truly did love me so I could learn how to love myself. And for that, I am extremely grateful. The 12-step program has been, still is, what I like to call my lifeboat, my absolute lifeboat. And so, and there are times, you know, when in, in my life, even today, when, oh, my God, do I know I need a lifeboat. And so um, uh, I'm very, very grateful for that. And so I found my way in the rooms in 1987, and, um, you know, good things started to happen after a while. Uh, I ended up going back to school and uh, finished my undergrad degree and uh, got my family back, um, you know, a lot of things started really going right uh, again in my life once I put uh, the substances down. And um, uh, I finished my undergrad degree, and then I went on to start an MBA. I was, I had a natural aptitude for whatever reason, had a pretty natural aptitude related to software. And actually moved from my home in Indianapolis, Indiana, where I am right now, to Boston. And uh, lived in the greater Boston area for a while, working for a software company there in the greater Boston area. And uh, so life was getting really good. It was really getting good. I had gone back to school. I got straight A's in, with my undergrad degree. And then, you know, Finished, uh, started my MBA. I finished my MBA with one B. Um, and I always have to say this because it's, it's still, I, I still feel the tinge of it. Every time I say that, I still feel a little resentment with the hussy that gave me the B. Right? I did walk with this thing with straight A's and one B. I 
still feel a little resentment with Pat, and that's the truth. <laughs> I'm, I'm still working on that. Still working on that. So, you know, the point of that was, you know, I started really doing really well within the throes of, of business. And um, so and it was amazing because with all those great grades in the academic circles, I realized that I had some brights, you know, that there were still some brights up there, some smarts up there, if you will. So the intellectual capacity was there. And, um, you know, I'm going to make a really long story short here. I was doing very well. Uh, The business that I was working for had me uh, speaking at a conference. And this particular conference, they're doing some work at at, at a conference, and this particular conference was in um, was in Germany, and so again, long story short. Now, by this time, I'm eight years in recovery, and uh, I arrived in Germany on this trip. Now, there's some other background stuff that goes on. This is the only thing, but we're fast forwarding a little bit. I arrived in Germany um, hungry, angry, lonely, and tired. And those of you who know programs say that those are states we don't really want to allow ourselves to get into, hungry, angry, lonely, and tired, because we don't make great decisions when we're hungry, angry, lonely, and tired. Uh, My big example of this, the one I love to see on TV um, they're still showing this commercial is uh, the Snickers, the candy bar commercial, where the guy turns into someone different when he's hungry. So there's one where, you know, a bunch of guys are in a car and the driver of the car turns around and Aretha Franklin's in the back seat being a diva, <laughs> right? And then the driver says, you know, hey, Joe, you know, you're just hungry, right? eat a Snickers, and he eats the Snickers and turns back into Joe. And that's the <laughs> point. But it, but it's true. You know, it's really true. I, you know, hungry Nikki is different than satiated Nikki, right, making big, different decisions, a different attitude, the whole nine yards. Right? And the same with all those things, hungry, angry, lonely, or tired. So I arrived in at this conference in this depleted state, both hungry, angry, lonely, and tired. And the only thing that was really being served by the time I got there, the conference had already already started. They were serving dinner. What was left for service at the point in time when I finally got there was um, dessert. And dessert happened to be orange sherbet that was served in champagne. And I made the decision in that moment because I was hungry to go ahead and go for the dessert, and I did that. And, um, you know, I just made the decision to do it, and I did, right? Well, Mm -hmm. again, certain set of situations happen, but let's suffice it to say, I go back to my room, and there happened to be a mini bar in the room. And uh, so, you know, you can just about guess what's going to happen with this story. But this was the amazing piece of it. Um, If you've ever seen the movie Flight, the movie Flight with Denzel Washington. Yeah. Yeah. Which for Mm -hmm. me is probably the best depiction of alcoholism I think I've ever seen on film. But Mm -hmm. the very last scene of that movie, right, is, is... exactly what I did in that hotel room in in Germany. I drank that everything in that menu bar just like Denzel Washington did at the end of that movie flight. And uh and did what he did as well. I got up the next day, I went and took care of what the things that I needed to take care of as far as the business was concerned. Um and then about, I was, you know, that trip was an extended trip. I continued to drink during that trip. And then I left Germany and found my way to Amsterdam. And, you know, you can just about guess the deal on that one, too. But mm-hmm. this, was, this was the amazing piece of that. This was the real biggie. I hadn't had a drink or a drug in my body for eight years. 
And I knew exactly what to do, exactly where to go, exactly how to talk, exactly who to become to get my drug of choice in a foreign country. And that Mm. absolutely blew my mind. I still think about it. It still blows my mind. I had been clean for eight years. I hadn't had a drink or drug in my body for eight years. And I went right there. It was a biggie for me to prove that this thing always sits there, right? right? It's just there. In yoga, we talk about this as something called samskara, which is our patterns, our habits, you know, all of those things. And and there, there's a pathway there, and, you know, you can talk about it from the basis of neuroscience as well. There's a pathway there that doesn't go away. It just doesn't mm-hmm. go away, which is why program tells us we got to keep coming back. We have to keep coming back. There's a vigilance that's necessary with this, with this thing, from my experience. All right, so anyway, I finally make it back to the States and make it back to Boston, and that was when, after, you know, I'm in the program, I'm doing well and all this. And then after a while was when I was reintroduced to yoga. I had been introduced to yoga in the early 70s and really knew that there was something there. But men and sex and drugs and, you know, all that kind of stuff diverted me from from what I saw, you know, and what I felt was there. And so um, when I got back and, you know, back in program for a while, I found yoga again. At first it was uh, hot yoga. And I really enjoyed that, found something there. And then I was introduced to a practice called Ashtanga, which is a a sequence of postures that you do, a series of postures, actually multiple series of postures that you do in a sequence. And uh, I really loved it. I had a great teacher. And and, um, as a matter of fact, she would go away on a yearly basis and go over to India and study with Patabi Joyce. And she was teaching in a, in a, for lack of a better word, an inner city school system, underserved, under-resourced school system. And I would go in and teach yoga to the kids, middle school kids, in that school system in, in, in the greater Boston area. And um, I was fascinated by how this practice affected the kids. Just fascinated. And the administrators of the school noticed it, too. They would say, you know, for an hour, two hours, whatever it was, some time period, after I left and after the kids had done the practice, what they noticed was that the kids had a different level of focus. They would say things like, we can really do our job, you know, and that's so unusual because the kids are so distracted otherwise. And so I got really curious about what it was in this practice that would allow that to happen. And and that was when I really started studying yoga and and all of that. So after a while on that path, I make the decision that I don't need the 12-step program anymore, right, that, you know, I was going to find everything through yoga, that yoga was going to be my it and, you know, all of that. And so after four years, Four years after that first relapse, right, I make this decision. I don't need yoga anymore. And at the end of the four years, I relapse again. I relapse again. And so, you know, this time I'm like, WTF, right? It it really, it it was mind-blowing. I knew that I was smart, you know. But what we know and that we've seen examples over and over, over and over and over again that this is a disease that goes far beyond the intellect. I know that I can intellect my way right into a coffin. Right? Mm-hmm. And we've seen plenty, and you know, I can give you countless examples. The one that still always blows me away is Philip Seymour Hoffman. Or, mm-hmm. you know, we can go on and on and on and give you examples of that. So, after that second relapse, what I discovered was for someone like me, and since that time I've seen many, many others that are just like me, that 
it had to be this combination that I needed the cognitive pieces, you know, all the stuff that we do in the in the twelve step program. But I also needed somatic practices. I needed something that was a body based practice. And I needed these things not to be in separate boxes. That I needed them to be, you know, completely woven together. And that's really where all this stuff was born. It was born out of my own relapses. And by the grace of God, I can say today that it's now been 15 years, over 15 years since that last relapse. And for me, part, part of a sustainable platform for addiction recovery for me is is that it has to include this body-based piece. You know, like you said earlier, the theme of Why 12 Sorry is the issues live in our tissues. And I've discovered that if I don't have some level of release across my my physical self as well, as the mental, emotional being, all of that, that there's something still left there, that there's something still incomplete or unresolved. And I need to bring that all together. And like I said, since, you know, being involved with this, I've seen many, many, many others who are the same way, that need a, a, something that is the the combination of these things. It weaves together, you know, the the wisdom of yoga, all the things we're learning about the brain, and the beautiful pieces of the 12-step program. So that's how it's all been born. This whole thing was born out of my own experience with relapse. So that was kind of long-winded, but you got it. <laughs> Not at all. No, that was so well explained and and so I can I can relate to everything that you are talking about and uh the the um I'm also somebody who has experienced two relapses and and uh I I think one of the most beautiful things about your story Nikki is how you have you know folded the learning experiences what uh, and it, it demonstrates the evolution the process of growing and evolving that we have in recovery and that relapses aren't necessarily, its you don't default to zero. We can continue to fold things that happen to us into our learning experience and stay curious and stay open and stay willing and incorporate more and more tools into the things that we do um, to help us stay sober, not just, you know, staying away from a drink or a drug, but to grow as people, to grow as spiritual individuals and, that's such a powerful example of that, and um, and Danielle, I know that you you practice a lot of this on your on your on your your own journey. Do you want to elaborate a little bit on what this has been like for you working with Nikki and and doing these things on on for your own? For yeah, yourself? I mean, I, again, like I said, so much of our story, even down to the software stuff, um, has has you know kind of been parallel. So um, for me as well, I you know, when I came into the program, I knew that the drinking and drugging was one piece, but I knew that there was so much under that, so much. Mm -hmm. And so Mm -hmm. for me, a lot of my struggle, I mean, has really been in in recovery because it's the first time that I really have been able to, with my feelings, like address some of this. And without um, the body piece, I really felt like something was lacking and it was even, it was just this summer I was sitting talking to one of my mentors in the program and I was sobbing. I just said, I'm not, I don't, I don't feel like I'm getting everything everyone is getting in the same level. And long story short, I mean, I'd always been into yoga and mindfulness, but there's definitely been a resistance, which again is part of my own journey and growing. And then I went on that retreat in the fall um, and one of the things is, is just a specific type of yoga, which is kundalini. And for me, it was like an instant, um, oh, my gosh, like this is it. For me, just for people that don't know, it's a series of like um, body work, um, mantras, and, and breath work. And it it just pulled out so much. It got to the root of my stuff so quickly um, that I ended up signing up for the teacher training. And so I'm in that now. Um, And and what I would say for me personally, 
uh, weekly. I I still love like the flow classes, and um, but the the Kundalini has has been instrumental to me. There's just something about being on that mat. What I remember when I first got into recovery, thinking I'm never going to love myself how is this possible and it's still a journey I still struggle with it I have a lot of codependency stuff I'm working on but I on the mat was the first time in my life in recovery that I could finish a practice and be like I love you Danielle I'm proud of you Mm -hmm. and for me I mean that's something I never thought possible in my entire life and so to be able to give myself that gift you know, daily, if I want, um, has definitely been life-changing. Now, one thing, Nikki, I would love for you, for people that aren't familiar with with the, um, and I'm holding off on getting Nikki's uh, Y12SR training, but I'm definitely planning on getting it this year. So, uh, But for people that aren't familiar with it, just explaining a little bit more about, like, how do you, how do you connect the two for people that aren't familiar with it? Absolutely. Um, yeah. Were you going to say something else there, Danielle? No, did just that process of okay. as you developed this, how did you say, okay, like this is where the yoga moves come in and this is where the 12 step is weaved into that? Okay. So here's, Here's what we do at Watch Over Star Meetings. And like Ellie said, now there are Watch Over Star Meetings all across the country. This thing has just been, you know, it, it, it occurs as something who, that wanted to be born and whose time has really come. You know, and I'm just grateful that it's come, it, it's come through me, and that's really all yeah. it is. I've discovered that it's it's my job. The the big job for me is to do my practices, do my meetings, do the things that 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 I need to do to stay out of the way, you know, so that so yeah. that so that spirit can flow. And um, uh, you know, it, what what you do at a one twelve SR meeting, and you know, again, the answer I got to teach you is the answer to everything. It depends. So, you know, I'm going to describe it one way, but it can go another, and I'll talk about that as well. Um, there's much like a 12-step meeting, there's a sharing circle. So we started out in the beginning, we read the steps, we read a form. It looks like a 12-step meeting. However, it's very clear, and we talk about this in the preamble, that, you know, the, the format that we read at first, that that's not what this is, that this is an adjunct. It's not meant to substitute or replace or anything like that, uh, your 12-step your meeting. It's an adjunct, which gives us another helpful tool in addressing the physical, mental, and spiritual disease of addiction. And that's a very important part of it. It's not meant to replace anything. But there's a a sharing circle. And what will happen is that there will be a topic brought up or reading introduced or, you know, one of those kinds of things. And then the group shares, just like we do at at a a 12-step meeting. And what we find is that the focus of, of that sharing is around the spiritual principles that sit underneath the steps, you know. So they're all around surrender. They're all around acceptance. They're all around awareness. You know, the spiritual principles that sit underneath that step. And that's and that's very purposeful because those are what we can feel. Those are what we can feel. And if I can feel it, I can know whether I'm in it or out of it. Right, mm-hmm. and then, and I'll talk about that in just a, a, a little bit more in a moment, and give you some examples around that. And then, directly after the sharing circle, there is uh, we do what we call take it to the mat, and we do a very number one trauma informed themed yoga practice. Right, it's trauma informed because I assert that what lies underneath any addiction is some level of trauma. And it's not necessarily what we call big T trauma, which is wars and tsunamis and, you know, all of those Mm -hmm. those kinds of things. Not necessarily that. 
There's also developmental trauma, right? There's also relational trauma that happens. And, you know, I assert really that what's sitting under all addiction is some level of that, some kind of trauma. And Absolutely. so all the, all the practices are the what those are, quote-unquote, facilitators, leaders, if you will, Space holders are what they really are, you know, is what we really consider ourselves. There are no, you know, big eyes, little you in these things. They're, they're, you know, folks that are trained to hold space because healing can only happen in safe space. So they're mm-hmm. there to hold the safe space in order to facil- facilitate the movement of spirit so that healing can happen. And so they do, we do this trauma-informed theme yoga practice. And the theme is whatever the spiritual principle was that was discussed in the sharing circle, right? So it might be, the theme of the practice might be something like surrender, or it might be acceptance. It might be, you know, any of the spiritual principles that sit underneath the steps, which happen to look, of course, a whole lot like the the (laughs) principles that are discussed in yoga, Known as the Yamas and the Yamas, right? So they look a whole lot like the Yamas and the Yamas. So, you know, there's this commonality in those things. And what the space holders for the leaders, uh, the yoga teacher in the yoga practice does is weave in to practice what we call the Watwabasar intervention. And the whole idea of the intervention is that when life shows up, you know, in in off the mat, right, when things happen off the mat, that we can become aware and we can use some of these tools, um, you know, in order really to respond differently than the way that we responded in the past. So we can take, the, you know, a moment and look at this and do something different than the way we've done it before. So I'll give you a little example of that. One of the interventions, and what we do is take these the wonderful, beautiful phrases and and the quotes from the twelve step program, and we turn them into what we call embodiments, right? So I can feel them, right? So I know what they are. So one, of, them, of course, you hear in the twelve step rooms all the time, which I love, is keep coming back. But what does it really mean? to keep coming back, right? What does it mean at the level of an embodiment? What can I feel about that? Well, we take the pose in yoga called mountain pose, right, which is a a whole pose that helps us really connect in with Mother Earth beneath us and with all the resources of the heavens above us. Right, and really feel a sense of what that feels like to be connected into the, to the earth. The earth gives us a sense of base. It gives us a sense of foundation. We often talk about how, you know, there's 6,000 miles of earth beneath us, and at the core of the earth itself is this incredible, fierce, powerful energy, right? Mm-hmm. So, and that the same energy that takes, a little bitty acorn and grows it into an oak tree is available mm. for me in any right. moment that I choose. Right, any moment that I choose to allow it in. So in tapping into that energy, and I can really feel this in my body. And then, you know, we talk about how we hug that energy in, right, because bringing muscle hugging to bone. Right, and then you know, feeling the sense of walking in the world with an open heart, but supported behind us through our back. We have our own back, so we use these principles that we teach throughout this posture and feel what that feels like in in our body. Right, and then you know, sometimes we do this little example. All right, now be the way you are in the world all the time. You know, I know I am on the in the world all the time. Where I think I got so much to do, and you know, all these things. It's all about me. You know, all the time. Right? <laughs> I'm I'm scattered, and my awareness and my attention is outside of myself. But when I find mountain pose, it's a whole different thing. It's a whole different thing. And you can feel it in your body. You can feel it in that moment. So we use that 
we assert that that's what it means to keep coming back. I keep coming back to, you know, my connection with something bigger. I keep coming, and I can feel this. It feels distinctly different in my body. That way I can know whether I'm in it or whether I'm out of it, right? Mm. And so we teach these little principles, these little embodiments. There are 12 of them, of course. 12 embodiments that we, that we teach so that, you know, when we're out in the world and in our lives and off our mat and, you know, doing the deal in the world, right, and we get a little triggered or a little anxious, you know, I can pause and I can keep coming back, right? And, mm. you, you know, so we, we use all these phrases and make them actual things that I can feel, that I can know. Right. There's so, so that's, that's kind of what we do in the process. There's so much of that 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 is so important because I know for me personally in in this journey, what I've recognized is you know addiction is for me a distraction of any kind. It's any outer reach yep. or inner peace. So yep. figuring, okay, put down the alcohol, I put down the drugs. Well, it was only then that I realized what was next. You know, whether it was work whether it was looking good or, you know, any type of perfectionism, it's that outer reach. And and what you're talking about really is it goes back to embodying ourselves, which is something Mm -hmm. that, you know, so hard for people with addictive tendencies. We want to reach outward. That's it. This this is a perfect way to incorporate, you know, being with and and actually literally embodying self. That is it. You know, we, we were talking about, when we were in Costa Rica together, we were talking a lot about codependence. And, yeah. you know, and I'm not a big fan of that word. Oh, my right, goodness. Right, right. I'm really not a big fan of the word. Uh, just because it's got so many, I mean, it's just been, for, you know, excuse the French, it's just been bastardized. Right, it really, <laughs> yeah. it, it, it means it really, so much, it, and yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. It really it's has. lost its but meaning. Yeah, at its root, you know, and we we talk about this. We when we're talking about that in in terms of of this work, we speak of that as the disease of the lost self. And any time I look outside of myself for something that can only come from the inside then I'm in a quote-unquote codependent relationship with whatever that thing is, whether it's Mm -hmm. food or, you know, food or, you know, it doesn't matter. Another person, it doesn't matter. Anytime I look outside of myself for something that can only come from the inside, you know, I'm in the disease of the lost self. And I just don't want to even uh, gloss over that either because, I mean, Nikki, you've said this in interviews before, but, and Ellie, I'm sure you can agree. I mean, most of us that picked up initially probably already had the disease of lost self-brewing. You know, Mm -hmm. so it's so important to to recognize. I just, I believe that that whole idea of the disease of lost self is not only fundamental to addiction, but getting well and, and recognizing, like, that entire um, process of healing. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. One of the things that I, I am so enthralled and, and, and drawn to about all of this in the in the body work and honoring of, of my, you know, the, you use the word embodiment, Danielle, like the literal embodiment mm-hmm. of self and is because for me, and I think for so many others, addiction was about self erasure. You know, I, I, I yeah. just anything to numb, you know, experience, whether it was in my body mm-hmm. or in my mind or any of that. And so, and I actually, when I was in treatment, I did a lot of work with my counselor who was trying to help me almost picture putting a barrier up, you know, across my neck because everything that I, thought and felt and experienced was in it was all in my head you know from the neck up, mm-hmm. nothing I, mm. I ignored my body I despised my body I didn't honor uh-huh. it or even I didn't even know how I felt about it because my my whole entire world was all in my in my brain 
And um, so she was helping me to find outlets that did not involve words even, really. I mean, she had me drawing, Mm -hmm. which was another way of, because it was harder for me to manipulate the outcome of how people responded to a drawing than it is to, I mean, I'm a writer. I use words, you know, to sort of craft my world the way that I want others to perceive it. And that was when I really started using yoga in the context of a recovery where, because it's so experiential and it really puts you back into yourself and into the moment and focusing on you know, a concept like we, we didn't talk you know, so much about acceptance and surrender. I, I love applying the, the um, sort of body experience to the the, the principles and, and things that we find behind the 12 steps. But she would talk about things like anxiety. And instead of describing how it felt, just stop and honor, where do you feel that in your body? Where do you experience exactly. it in your body? Is it a tightness exactly. in your belly? Is it a catch in your throat? Is it a... Well, for me, it turned out to be cold feet, you know, things that I never even yeah. knew mm. that were happening okay. in my body as a coming back into self. It's a very powerful thing. I had a teacher do the same thing with me, and, you know, would say, I would say I'm sad. And the question became, how do you know? You know, right. what is it in yeah. you know, how do you know? How do you even know? You know, what is it in, in your being right now? What is it? What are the sensations that, that say sad, Right. Right. And so, and that was just such an incredible. It's been such an incredible, incredible inquiry. Can it I ask you both? With, with, oh, sorry, go ahead, Danielle. Go ahead. No, is because I know Nikki, and you mentioned your intro, like as far as being a somatic experiencing practitioner. Why? Right. So, mm-hmm. is, so is that for people that don't know? And I'm somewhat new. We have some friends that have been interested in this, but in like somatic experiencing, is that really what it's about? Identifying that part. Yeah, yeah. I have, I have taken the, 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 been blessed with incredible, incredible teachers in, throughout the course of yoga and somatic experiencing and all of that. And I've kind of done, what, what I thought really is, is the connection of the dots between all that thing, all that stuff. That said, Somatic experiencing is the powerful, powerful work of Dr. Peter Levine, right? And and mm-hmm. it, the the real basis of it that is just fascinating to look at. And one of his books, Waking the Tiger, right? Uh, the big deal with this is what is discovered is that you know animals in the wild, even though they're routinely exposed to traumatic events, don't suffer from trauma. Right, mm. so I always say, I always say, there's no Possum Prozac, or there's no <laughs> Polar Bear Paxil or Zebra Zoloft. Right, there's none of that. Although but sadly, that, we're trying to prescribe our dogs now for Prozac. Well, it's like, tell that, me that's that, not a people problem. That's right. <laughs> there's puppy Prozac, but that's usually because they've taken on the neurosis of the owner. Right? Exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I love it. But he discovered that, and and it's because animals in the wild instinctively, they don't have, while they're mammals, the the ones, the animals he's working with are mammals like us, which means they have the same nervous system structure, right? They don't have the big neocortex in front that does all the reasoning and explaining and the logic and the analysis and all that, and they have natural capacities in order to release um, uh, energy buildup in their own body, right? So in the you see all this film and those things, and one of them is the possum. And you see the possum that's out in the woods and it's, you know, doing its little possum thing. And then in the background you see a wolf. And, and then the possum senses that there's a wolf there, and then it goes through its ner- nervous system decision tree. It's kind of like, you know, I'm a possum. I don't run very fast. That's probably not a good option. You know, I'm a possum. I've got, you know, I got these teeth that are not meant for. I'm, I'm not a fighter, right? Don't do. That's probably not a good op- option. So it freezes, and then it gives off this scent of dead prey. And in the film, the wolf comes down and smells it and says, you know, basically this doesn't look like a great interesting lunch or meal or any of that. <laughs> and then it goes back out to do whatever wolves do. And after the possum senses that it's out of danger, 
it flips back over and immediately begins to shake, right? And it shakes and shakes and shakes and shakes. And then when it's done, you know a scientist to take this big deep breath. It goes, and then mm. it goes it goes back out and does whatever possums do, right? And we wow. don't do any of that. We explain <laughs> no. it all away, right? We right. The program would say, I'm fine, right? You know? Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> fine, right? And we just explain it all away. And it's energy. It's got to go someplace. It's got, it, and the nature of energy is to move. And when it doesn't move, right, we hold on to it, we grasp it, we deny it. turns into something else, right, mm-hmm. it, because that's the nature of it. All energy is here. It's all here, right? It just turn, it changes form. Einstein said that. It just changes form, right? And when we hold on to it and deny it and don't let it do what, what energy naturally wants to do, which is to move, it turns into something else. And then we hold it. We hold it in our tissues, right? We hold it. So we've got to find a way to release it. And that's really what somatic experiencing is all about, giving us mm. this safe container in order to release energy that's being held mm. inside of our body, right? And so we've taken certain things that we do in our yoga practice, our design, to help us begin to release the, you know, these things that get stuck in our tissue, right? And I, it's so, I, I, oh, go ahead, Ellie. Go ahead, Daniel. No, no, you go. It's okay. Just the the idea of the energy because, I mean, as you both know, and I, I say all the time when I speak, people with um, addictive tendencies are some of the most intelligent, creative people oh, that I've ever goodness. met in my life. And Absolutely. I just, you know, especially with a lot of the young people that I work with now, I mean, it's, it's such a case of, of stuck energy. It really mm-hmm. is. I mean, you can just tell it's people that they're, like Ellie said, too, you're trapped in your mind and mm-hmm. the intellect, and it's, it's not knowing how to harness the power that you have within you. And, um, again, just having that, that physical piece is just, it's, it's so amazing that, you know, that this, this, this entire um, process has kind of come about. One of the things that I, that I like to do that, um, as we talk about these things on this show too, because I know so many of our listeners are still in the throes of drinking or drug use or addiction or, you know, sort of in the contemplative arc or in a state of profound malcontentment and looking for some, something deeper in their lives. And, um, you know, I think a lot of these concepts can seem sort of, I don't know, overwhelming is the wrong word, but sort of like, I, I just remember, especially when I was newly sober, all of this seems so unachievable and out of reach and, and oh, trying to figure out oh. how, how do I get from where I am to where oh, they are or where I want to be or how can I, how can I achieve some of these things? And um, even as you, as you got, as you both are talking about um, the sort of the energy and the, and the way that I think most people with addictive tendencies, we're highly absorptive people. We're very empathic. Oh. We're very sensitive. And, and so, right. And and all of these emotions, especially in early recovery, are so they're pointy and rough right. and loud. And I, it, for me, it sort of felt like I was wearing my skin inside out. You know, it just like oh, yeah. and the desire to just you know just make that feeling stop. And and without having the tools to be able, to, the feeling was really it wasn't even a feeling for me. It was it was all emotion and it was on my head and. It wasn't until I was able to find these other outlets like you're describing with yoga or exercise or movement or therapy or body work that you can um, kind of honor those energies and you feel less less held victim by them. So if I'm experiencing something like anxiety or fear or let's just stick with anxiety because that's a big one for so many of us, instead of spending so much time in the story of it, you know, right. and he did this and didn't do this and this and she and that. And it was all external to me and all beyond my control. And I felt so powerless in the face of right. anxiety, especially in early recovery when we've lost our primary mal, you know, maladaptive coping mechanism. I don't, right. I don't numb it. 
I don't numb it anymore. Right. So now what? Um, right. To be <laughs> able to work with the body and and like I love the way that I'm going to paraphrase it for what you said, Danielle. Like the power really is all within ourselves to be able mm-hmm. to instead of create a story around it or try to avoid it or blame it on somebody else or look to external reasons forces to either cause it or make it go away we can we can metabolize it we can honor it and we can we can work with it and it and, and that, that to, i can't do that in my head is what i'm trying to right, say right out of my brain right. out of my and, brain and probably the the easiest and most powerful tool of all in that vein for me has been is working with my breath right and, so and here, here, whenever I am in any kind of state of anxiety or any of that kind of stuff, then I'm not present. I can't possibly be in the present moment. I gotta be someplace else. You know that mm-hmm. phrase. If it's if it's hysterical, it's historical. It's really not about what's happening in this moment. I've time traveled, <laughs> right? Yeah. I've time traveled to the past. Or time travel to the future, right? So breath is a tool. When my focus is on my breath, then I have to be present. I have to be in present time because you can't breathe in the past and you can't mm. breathe in the future. You can only breathe in the present moment. So when I'm really focused and in, 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 have synchronized and coordinated my breath with my movement, then I have to be present, Right. I stopped the time travel, which has really, really, really been an important tool for me because I we time travel all the time, right? Mm. And I need to stop that and come. Life happens in the present moment. And so, you know, this is a, just a tool that just brings me back present. And it's such a powerful tool, and it's with us all the time, right? And mm. that's, that's a beautiful thing. It's, it's, I, I would agree with that. And lately I've been thinking because I'm finally starting to see, I had, um, uh, my grandmother passed away a week ago and I Hmm. was, you know, she had a wonderful life. It's not about about that, but I was astounded by the way I managed myself, by the way I did her eulogy, by all of it. I mean, almost took my breath away, like, who is this person? I and love so I've, And I've been thinking of that so much because I wish that all those times addicts Danielle sat down to meditate years ago or go on the yoga mat and expected to kind of grow, like I joke, like a third arm, you know, like <laughs> I was going to walk <laughs> off in something. I was going to get wings or another brain. Like, you know, we want everything in this. Second, and I would be like this meditation thing, you know, five minutes here, five minutes there. But I didn't recognize that the change and the transformation was always happening. It wow. wasn't how I wanted it to happen, and it wasn't going to be appear to me in the ways that I wanted it to appear. But when right. these things happen, what I see is by putting the time in when it's so hard and really like five minutes a day to sit that over time, then 10 minutes becomes easier or whatever That's it is. It. And the taking a deep breath becomes easier. That over time, that when there's less of that being in the reactive and in intellect mode, because we put in those little increments. That's mm-hmm. and, and I just, you know, it was like me now can sit there and say that to myself. So now it validates the yoga and meditation I do where I'm not sitting there like, okay, what am I doing this for, you know? But it, mm-hmm. it's just, it, I, I, that's something that I definitely, to people, is don't underestimate. It's, we want these instant, amazing results. You know, magical thinking is what my therapist calls it. I have a yep. great case of magical yep. thinking. And, and so mm-hmm. I just reiterate to people, take what you can every day, five minutes, and over time you will be like, wow, I just, did I just take a deep breath? Instead of reacting and, like, wanting to bite someone's head off, I did. You know, so it's, mm-hmm. those are the ways that we're going to see it impact us. Absolutely. We are we are getting close to the end of an hour. This has been so fantastic. And, I, Nikki, I could talk to you for days, 
<laughs> totally I know. So way. much here. This is just, yeah, this is just so, I love talking to you guys. I love I know, I, I have a, a huge smile on my face that nobody can see, but I, I just <laughs> want to take a, a moment to, we'd like to just go around and, and um, talk to Nikki, you and, and the two of us, and say, do you have anything that you want to underscore about what we talked about tonight, or a key takeaway, or maybe a sort of a, a parting thought that you want to leave in particular for those of our listeners who might um, still be struggling or who are really looking to, um, you know, explore what we've, what we've talked about this evening. And, and Nikki, let's start with Absolutely. you. Absolutely. Um, there's that 12-step phrase I've heard many, many, many times that I absolutely love. And it's just become a guiding principle for my life. Just do the next good, right, honest thing. Do the mm-hmm. next good, right, honest thing. And sometimes that's as simple for me as getting out of bed and going to brush my teeth. You know, Mm -hmm. it's not a big thing. Sometimes it's as simple as getting up and going to use the bathroom, right? Something Mm -hmm. just that simple. That is the next good, right, honest thing. You know, what I discovered in my relapses really is that you know, first time I was clean for eight years. Eight years isn't a long time to stay clean. Twenty-four hours is a long time to stay clean. And mm, so well said. Me to, me to just keep doing the next good, right, honest thing in the course of this twenty-four hours. You know, that's the way that's that it is. It's one step at a time, one breath at a time. So that's what I would say, and that's continued to how I, I look to live my life. That's oh, beautifully said, Nikki. Thank you. Wow. Um, Danielle, how about you? Yeah, so just to kind of piggyback on something that Nikki said before and how people can apply all of this today, um, I would say the just the breath and deep breath. And in Kundalini, um, for one of our first assignments, they wanted us to make like a 100 sticky notes um, that just said deep breath and put them everywhere. Um, on our mirror, in our car, everything. Um, If the bell goes off during the class, like at the church across the street, we're instructed to take a deep breath. So to me, what people can start applying um, when when we hang up the phone or even right now is just that energy, that life force within you starts with the breath. Mm. Very, very true. I I, um, echo what both of you said and I, you know, as I don't even really know that I can focus in on one particular thing that we've discussed because it's all been so valuable to me. Um, I, I think that I just really want to highlight your own personal journey, Nikki. It's something that I relate to quite a bit and um, it really illustrates for me too about how being a woman in recovery is more than, not drinking it's more than practicing 12 steps it's more it's it's bigger than it's bigger than any one individual component of all of that it's uh-huh. really eloquently uh-huh. put at the beginning of this and um for me i've described it more recently as a coming back to self and, uh-huh. and uh-huh. be able to uh-huh. drop shame and drop story you know i don't I, I just really loved when you were introducing yourself at the very beginning and you said mm-hmm. it can cause a split in you and, a, you know, cause a war within yourself because all of these, all of the things that I've done and said and felt in my life are all a part of who I am and they, and I honor them all now today in a way that I couldn't before. Mm-hmm. And um, so being able to develop a spiritual practice, being able to develop a, a yoga practice and then, and do body work on my own has really transformed um, my journey as well. And to be able to blend the two is, is such a powerful, transforming experience. So I, I'm absolutely thrilled that you were able to introduce more people to it on the show tonight. And I, I would like to let everybody know that you can find out more about both Nikki and Y12SR at www.y12sr.com. And you can also check out their Facebook page at Y12SR, the Yoga of 12-Step Recovery. And I actually went to the website, and you can do a search by state, and you can find out what meetings are near you. And I have there's one right down the street from where I work, actually. 
Massachusetts. So I will be definitely checking it out. And the other, the other thought that I wanted to leave with people and um, the way that I think, and so I'm willing to guess other people do too, is just don't be intimidated. Be open. Don't, you know, you don't have to be a yogini or a 12 step guru or any of these things to, to, to really, to, um, to experience these things and to have them help us transform and grow because I, I was chuckling when Danielle was sharing, you know, I'll meditate for five minutes, maybe a couple of times, one week and say, well, that didn't work. You know, yeah. <laughs> yep. uh-huh. patience, uh-huh. patience, grasshopper, it will come. And it's oh, now I look at these things it. as an honoring, an honoring of myself. Like I deserve to experience new things like this. Now I deserve to uh, learn more. Uh, about myself and and my body and my journey and my spirituality, so I will definitely be attending a meeting and really looking forward to it. To it. And awesome. as we show, yes, as we close the show tonight, we'd like to direct you to our parent organization, ShiningStrong.org. There you will find links to all of our resources, including the Bubble Hour and Crying Out Now and other initiatives around recovery advocacy. Visit the Bubble Hour's website at thebubblehour.com to find a link to many recovery resources, including Jean's blog, Unpickled, and my blog, One Crafty Mother. Our email address is thebubblehour at gmail.com, so please email us with any questions or comments or other uh, show topic suggestions. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter. Please let us know your feedback about tonight's show and anything else that you'd like to share with us. We love hearing from you, so we encourage you to email us if you're Feeling so inclined. And Nikki, thank you again. And Danielle, as a co-host, what a, what's always a treat to have you back on the show. And Thanks. I love you, ladies. Yes, love you both, too. And uh, thank you to everybody for listening to the Bubble Hour. And I hope everybody has a wonderful evening. Thank you so much. Thanks. Good night, All everybody. Right. Bye. Thank you so much. Bye. Good night. Thank you, Nikki. Bye. Bye-bye. Nowadays, total joint replacement is the biggest operation in America. And some of the cases are very, very difficult. Nobody knows medical care better than doctors. I'm an internist in the Tufts Medical Center. They see my patients very quickly. They're willing to do difficult operations. The surgeons are excellent. The nurses are excellent. Very, very good. Maybe that's why so many doctors prefer to refer their complex orthopedic cases to Tufts Medical Center. Learn more at lovetuftsmc.org.